Lord, my prayer is simple. Help me to preach. Help your people to listen. Holy Spirit, you have a way of speaking to us personally, even when we're in a crowd. You call us out. Thank you for your word. I'm so glad I'm not up here trying to give my words to the people. But I'm up here, Lord, to communicate your word to your people. And as our worship leader said, the enemy comes to steal the word. May he not have success today with this word. Lord, we've done our best to prepare our hearts to receive the word so that fruit can be produced. So speak, Lord. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today I'm speaking on the subject of the mistake of Peter. The mistake of Peter. And I know what some of you are probably thinking. You're probably thinking, Pastor, which mistake are you talking about? Because the brother made several mistakes, just like you and just like me. There was the mistake he made in Matthew chapter 16 when the Lord said that he was going to Jerusalem where he would die. He would suffer. He would be crucified. Peter made a mistake by pulling Jesus aside, and he began to rebuke Jesus. And he said, Jesus, never, no, it cannot happen to you. You, you can't go out like that. And for our Bible readers, you know what Jesus said to him. He turned and he rebuked Peter, and he said, get behind me, Satan, for you have in mind the things of men and not the things of God. So a stern rebuke. Now, what makes it even more interesting is that a few verses before, when Jesus asked the men in Matthew 16, who do people say that I am? Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, but who do you say I am? And it was Peter who said, we believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood didn't give that to you. But my Father in heaven revealed that to you. And upon this rock of revelation, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. I bet Pete felt like the man. He was like, yeah, y'all see what I just said? <laughs> but if he was a little prideful, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Because the next few verses, he was feeling himself and tried to rebuke Jesus. And Jesus, who said that my father gave you that revelation, you went from being full of the spirit now to springing a leak, and Satan has influenced your thinking. Pete made a whole lot of mistakes. What about when he and the other apostles didn't want the children to come to Jesus? And Jesus said, hey, man, forbid them not, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What about that time when they were in the upper room, and Jesus said, all of you will fall away tonight on account of me. Peter said, they may fall away, 
but not me. Mistake. Trusting in yourself. And Jesus said to him, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny three times that you know me. And rather than just accepting it, Peter said, no, it'll never happen. And we know he denied the Lord three times. Three mistakes, three strikes. But I'm so glad that he wasn't out. And on one of those denials, he made the mistake of cussing. I didn't say cursing. I said cussing. So Pete made a lot of mistakes. He even fell asleep on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not once, not twice, but three times. And Jesus said to Peter and James and John, could you not stay awake with me for one hour while he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane? This man made quite a few mistakes. And on that third time when he fell asleep, he didn't wake up until the mob had come to arrest Jesus. And he awakened out of his sleep, grabbed his blade and cut the servant of the high priest's ear off. That was a mistake. Had he been praying, he might not have acted like that. But Jesus put the guy's ear back on. My goodness. You're coming to arrest this man, and he's healing people in your group. That is amazing. This man made mistake after mistake after mistake. Even to the point that when Jesus had resurrected from the dead, he appeared first to women. And the women had to come back and tell the apostles that they had seen the Lord. And the Bible says that Peter did not believe the women. Another mistake. But then later we see in the book of Acts when the Lord tells the disciples to go out and reach all people. Peter was content to just stay with his own people, the Jews. And God had to give him a special vision with food that was once considered unclean to Jewish people, God was saying, you can now eat the food. I'm declaring it clean. And what I'm saying with the food is that the food is a symbol of the people that you once called unclean. They're clean now because I'm going to make them clean, but they need to hear a preacher tell them the gospel. And so three times this vision came, rise, Peter, kill and eat this food. And three times Peter said, no, Lord, I'm not eating if there's anybody who should learn not to say no, Lord, should be Peter. One preacher said he should wear peppermint socks because he always has his foot in his mouth. I mean, this guy is amazing. But then once he sees that God is a God for all people, not just Jewish people, and that Jesus knocked down the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, he makes one body. Peter is enjoying this freedom in the gospel in the church at Antioch. He's sitting there fellowshipping with Gentiles, eating what Gentiles eat until the boys from his old neighborhood show up from Jerusalem. And when they show up, Peter backs away from the table and eating with those people. Another mistake. And he almost got away with it, but homeboy Paul was there. And Paul said, wait a minute, wait, you can't do that. You are not representing the gospel well. So Paul rebuked Peter publicly because he committed a public sin. And he's also a leader, and leaders are under stricter judgment. So Peter made mistakes, but Jesus never got rid of him. Jesus never gave up on him. Peter was a maverick. He always tested things. So when I talk about the mistake of Peter, you're right in saying which one. 
But today, I want to deal with the first recorded mistake of Peter. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Because as we talk about his mistakes, I want us to see ourselves that we all make mistakes. We all make errors. We all fall short. We all sin. But there's something about God. He's long-suffering. He's patient. He's slow to anger. And he has this thing called grace. And today we'll see Peter's mistake at the lake. But we're going to see the grace of Jesus manifested. And I pray today you see his grace more than you see your mistakes. So we see in Luke chapter 5, this is possibly a third encounter that Jesus has with Peter. And if we were to go back into chapter 4, Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth, which is in Galilee, and he's preaching, and people are listening. Uh, but when he begins to challenge them, they want to throw him off of a cliff. And then he goes to preach in the synagogues, and he's healing people. And people are bringing so many people to him that he starts healing in the morning all the way until the evening uh, at Peter's mother-in-law's house. Jesus rebukes a fever that's on Peter's mother-in-law. He heals everyone in the city. He gets up early in the morning to go and pray. Peter finds him, and he says, there are more people looking for you, Lord, to heal them. And Jesus says, I've got to go to other cities because for this reason I've come to preach the kingdom of God. And so that's how chapter 4 ends. Chapter 5 begins, verse 1, so it was. As the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, <clears throat> which is another name for the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. So here's the situation. People are pressing in. Not to get a miracle as far as a healing is concerned. They're pressing in to hear the word of God. I like these people. Because there are some people who only want the, the miraculous and the supernatural from God. And yes, he does that. But he's so much more than that. And so these people are pressing in not to have him feed them like the multitudes he fed. No, they're pressing in to have him feed them the word of God. And they're listening. And there's so many people coming to him that he had to say to Peter, let me get into your boat push out a little from the shore, and I will stand up to read the word, and then I will sit down to teach the word to the people. And so Peter obeys without any hesitation. Jesus chooses Peter's boat. And there were several boats that he could have chosen from, but here's the thing. God is very intentional, and he's very specific, because after he preaches to the multitudes, Jesus also wants to spend some time with one person. And one thing I know about preachers, some of us are real good talking to the multitudes, 
but we don't know how to talk to one person. And some of us are real good talking to one person, but we don't have the ability to talk to the multitudes. Jesus is the master teacher and discipler, and he can obviously do both very well. So he preaches to the multitudes. He gets into Peter's boat. He says, just back out a little shallow from the land and let me talk to the people. So that's the situation. Now, we also got to throw in this. It's morning time. And all the fishermen have been fishing all night. That's when they fish. I'll talk about that in a moment. So their job is finished. They have clocked out. They are washing their nets to get ready to come back out later that evening to fish. And it just so happened to not be a good fishing day on top of that. So they're washing their nets because if they don't wash their nets, their nets will become brittle and they'll break easily. So they have to take care of their nets. They have to mend them, sew them up. So they're finished. Jesus gets into Peter's boat, who was a fisherman. He said, let me talk to the people. He talks to the people. But now we're about to see a command jump off in verse 4. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So he gives them a command. Launch out into the deep. Let down your nets for a catch. Now, this command that he gives Peter makes no sense, humanly speaking. Because humanly speaking, you don't fish for fish during the day in the deep water. Because the nets can't get down to get the fish into the deep water. This is why fishermen fish at night by the shoreline, because the fish come to the shoreline in shallow waters. So they fish at night because they have a better chance to catch fish at night. But when the sun goes up, the fish go down. And so Jesus is like, um, I know it's not fishing time, but I'm giving you a commandment. Go out into the deep of the Sea of Galilee. Let down your nets for a catch. This is a command that made absolutely no sense whatsoever. Has God ever commanded you to do something? That didn't make sense, humanly speaking. But when God is speaking, it doesn't matter what humans speak. Because watch this. As they're sailing out, people are looking at them like, what is he doing going out there at this time? He just washed his nets. Nobody goes out there in the daytime. What are they doing? Now he's become a spectacle in obeying the Lord. And the Lord is like, now listen, we're going to go out here, let your nets down, and I'm expecting a catch. But in Peter's mind, this doesn't add up. So here's the mistake. Here's the mistake right here. Verse 5. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word. I will let down the net. Here's his mistake. He's probably thinking to himself, I'm a fisherman. I've been doing this my whole life. I know when to go out and fish. This man is the son of a carpenter. He knows about wood 
wood and nails and hammers and splinters and building stuff. He doesn't know about fish. I know, you know, I'm just starting to follow you. But stay in your lane, Jesus. Because he says, the Bible says, but Simon answered. But Simon, that, that B-U-T gets us in trouble all the time. Because it seems strange to people when God commands you to honor him with the first fruits of your increase. And your unsaved friends or carnal Christian friends are looking at you saying, you give what at church? You, I wouldn't give my money there. They look at you like you're strange. And so you start saying, I don't know if it makes sense to me either. So now when God says give, you say but. When God says love, you say but. When God says forgive, you say but, Lord, you don't know what they did to me. Forgiving people who hurt me? Yes, 70 times 7. Yeah, but, Lord, ain't no buts. Don't let B-U-T get your B-U-T-T in trouble. <laughs> but, Lord, you got the nerve to call Jesus master. Now, the word master here is a unique word in the Greek language. It's a word that speaks of somebody that's the chief, you know, somebody that's the leader. And it can also be used to speak of a rabbi, someone who has the position of a teacher. So Peter is like, uh, but teacher, but rabbi. Now, now, now the mistake is he gives the Lord his opinion when the Lord didn't ask for his opinion. Don't we do that? Where we think we know more than God knows. That, that he don't know what he's doing with our lives. But when he stepped into Peter's boat, that became his boat. Jesus is the captain now. So when he comes into your life, he's Lord, not you, not me. So when he says, go this way, you don't need to say, but master. We're supposed to say, yes, master. But we think we know more than the Lord. And so his mistake is he doubts God. He thinks God doesn't know what he's doing with my life. Because if you knew what you were doing with my life, we wouldn't be out here in the middle of the lake trying to do something you ain't supposed to do out here during the daytime. You don't know what you're doing with my life. So he says, uh, Master, we've toiled all night. We caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. He's not expecting anything. He's like, we just wasting our time out here. But here's the blessing. Look at verse 6. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Don't play with my Jesus. God blesses. He, he does a miracle. What is a miracle? A miracle is when God intervenes into the natural on your behalf, and he does the supernatural. A miracle is when God shows up and what he does is unexplainable, and it's also undeniable. It's a miracle. Only God could do this. Because don't nobody catch fish 
in the deep in the daytime unless Jesus is on that boat. Now, Peter is getting to see the guy who had control over demons on land, the guy who could heal bodies full of sickness and leprosy on land, we see now his authority and power goes into the sea and below the sea to tell fish what to do. Aquaman ain't got nothing on Jesus Christ. A miracle occurs. So much so that like we sang and like we pray every Sunday, this was exceedingly, abundantly, above all that they could ever ask or imagine because Peter didn't even ask for this. So God blessed him even though he didn't ask. And when he blessed him, he opened up the windows of heaven and put so many fish in that boat that the boat began to sink. You say, Pastor, how do I apply this? Because the same God who blessed him with more fish than his boat could handle is the same God who does the same thing with us. He blesses us. Uh, Do you have more clothes than your closet can hold? If so, God has blessed you and opened up the windows of heaven. You don't have room enough to receive all the stuff. If you've got so many pair of shoes that you can no longer put them in the closet, you got to put them under the bed. you got to put them in the front closet. You have been blessed exceedingly. If you have so much money that you can lose money and not know you lost it. See, I'm just trying to make this practical. You have to find some money in your pants that you wore last week, and you dig in there like, oh, some money, God is good. No, he's blessed you so much you can lose some money. But people who live in poverty, most of the world lives on less than a dollar a day. You know they know where their money is. But we're so blessed to overflowing. When you have so many books that you can't read them all. You got so much furniture, your house can't hold it all. You got to put stuff in storage. You've been blessed to overflowing. When you've got so much food that you don't eat it all, you're throwing away food. You have uh, leftovers and you don't even eat them. He's blessed your boat to overflowing. Now, he's not doing that to make you feel bad. He's just letting you know he's good like that. But he's also saying, now share. Because this blessing got so big, Pete had to share it with his partners. Oh, but don't let me get ahead of myself. A miracle occurred. And when God does a miracle, once again, he does the unexplainable in a way that is undeniable. But somebody might be sitting here saying, Pastor, I've been waiting on my miracle. He just hadn't come through for me. I've seen him do things for other people, but he hadn't come through for me. Well, let me help you first. Can you ever think back to a time where he did do something unexplainable for you, where he he paid a bill for you that you could not pay on your own, where he opened up a door for you, where he healed, where he provided, where he did something for you? And if you can't look at things in the natural realm, go back to Calvary and look at how he forgave you of all your sins. But I know he did something for you in the natural realm. So it's not that he can't. It's just that he has not yet. So what you have to do is wait on him and trust that you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 
And you also have to have the faith that says, if he doesn't do what I want him to do, I'm still going to praise him and trust him. I'm not going to bow down. I know he can deliver me from this fiery furnace, but if he does not give me the miracle that I'm asking for, King Nebuchadnezzar and Satan from the lowest rings of hell, I will not bow and say that God is not good. I will trust him. He's got something better for me. So if he doesn't give me my miracle now, I'm going to get my miracle when I see him. Uh Uh-oh, I'm not worried about whether or not he can come through because he can come through. Sometimes he chooses not to come through. And I got to trust him when he doesn't make sense to me because his ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. But while I'm alive, I'm still going to ask him, do the miracle. Heal this body of cancer. I'm still going to ask him, Lord, open up the door. Give me that job. Give me that house. Give me that transportation. Give me that favor. I still need you to do a miracle in my life because I know that you can. I just pray that you would. And so here's grace, here's grace, and I'm almost done. He's made mistakes. He doubted the Lord. He didn't want to go out there. He wasn't expecting a catch. By the shoreline, he obeyed Jesus without hesitation. But out here, he has to give Jesus his opinion on the matter. And so there's delayed obedience, which is really disobedience if you really look at it. And so... Grace shows up, which is unearned favor, unmerited favor, where God gives everything for nothing, even when we're not asking him. Here's grace. Jesus blessed Peter in spite of his unbelief. So shame on people who say to Christians, God will only bless you to the degree that you have faith. Sometimes it's like that in the Bible, where God wants us to have faith that he can do it. But so many times God does miracles in our lives and we lack faith or we didn't even ask him to do it. We'll get to heaven and find out how many obstacles, seen and unseen dangers that God kept us from that we knew nothing about. And so God blesses in spite of the unbelief of Peter. He blesses each and every one of us because we don't always have strong faith. We're like that man who has the son who's filled with demons. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. So again, shame on people who say God will only do for you if you have faith. And then when these faith healers' wives get sick with cancer, now their whole thing is thrown off and they don't know how to explain it because they try to manipulate God into a corner. No, 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 no. So you trust him, but he blesses in spite of unbelief. He also blessed Peter and his friends. So when Peter's boat started filling up, the dudes who were on the shore was like, wait a minute, something going on out there. So they signaled, come on and get some. This is how we know grace is operating. When God blesses us and lavishes us with more than we can use, more than we can spend, we say to our friends, come on and get some. Because if you try to hoard it all, you're going to sink with all that. (laughs) No, he blesses you to be a blessing. Pass it on. Help somebody else up. So their partners come out, and they get blessed. And people ought to get blessed because they hang close to you. 
They ought to get the drippings that bounce off your life. You know, God's so good to you. If you're in the neighborhood, you're getting some of these drippings because there's favor on my life. There's favor. Goodness and mercy are following me all the days of my life. So if you're around me, you're around something good. And if I'm around you and you walk with Jesus, something good on your life, man, something might splatter onto me and I might get blessed too. So God's people need to be together. But here's the thing that blew my mind. Jesus helped Peter with this catch. How do you know that, Pastor? Verses 6 and 7 talk about they dropped the nets. Uh, Verse 7 says they signaled to their partners. Well, who else was in the boat with Peter? Jesus. Because he got into Simon's boat. He went out to the center. It was just the two of them because Jesus wanted personal time with Peter. Make sure you give Jesus some personal time. Don't let the only time you press in to hear the word is when you're with the crowd. He wants to get along with you, and a lot of times he wants to get along with you in deep waters. Here's the beauty about deep waters. We may not want to go out to deep waters, but it's in deep waters that the miracles occur. It's in deep waters that you get to know God in a whole different way. And so you'll also see in the deep waters, one-on-one with Jesus, that he won't call you to do something, that he won't help you to do it. Oh, I just said something right there. He said, let down the nets for a catch. Fishermen work together. So Jesus, the carpenter from Nazareth, helped Peter, Simon, put the net in the water. And when the fish jumped in the net to abundance, they pulled it up. Because whatever Jesus calls you to do, he's going to do it with you if you let him. Because he's the one who said, without me, you can do nothing. You can't even fish without me. You know what happened last night? Y'all caught nothing. Then later on, when Peter has a moment of lunacy and he goes back to fishing because he failed so much, I'm going back to what I know. He couldn't catch fish then. Can't even catch fish. You can't tie your shoes without Jesus. Let something happen to your body and you can't move. Lord, heal me so I can tie my shoes, something I take for granted. Take Jesus to work with you tomorrow morning. Lord, I need your help today with these coworkers. Lord, I need your help to do this job today. Lord, I need your help to preach this message today, to shepherd your people today. Lord, I need your help because he is the one. I will look to the hills from whence cometh my help. Let him help you. Let him help you in your marriage. Let him help you as you parent your kids. Yelling don't work all the time. Let him help you. So that means let me back up. Lord, would you help me, please? Because if you don't help me, they're going to come get me. Uh, uh. Help. And I bet you when they're pulling that harvest in, Peter's just having a good time. Everybody's smiling, laughing. And Jesus is not some stoic savior who's sitting on the end of the boat with his arms crossed. Yes, children, take in the harvest. He's helping them. That's grace. Your savior will not call you to do something that he will call you to do it alone. He wants to do it with you. Let him do it with you. But there's more grace here because we see in verse 8. Here here it is, everybody. If you haven't paid attention, paid attention right now. When Simon Peter saw it, the miracle, when he saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He saw the miracle. He saw his sin. His sin was doubt and unbelief. His sin was thinking he knew more 
than the Lord. And he says to Jesus, get away from me. I'm not worthy of you. And he falls down on his knees in the hull of that boat, and he's ashamed of himself. But here's grace. Although he says to the Lord, depart, is really a prayer. And it's said with an exclamation point because he's feeling so bad. God, just get away from me. I'm such a mess. Grace does not get away from you when you create a mess. Grace presses in when you make a mess. That thing you said you would never do again, and you did it again. And you felt so bad, and you say, Lord, I'm just not worthy of you. No, you're not. On your best day, when you don't do it, you're not worthy of me. Even when you do do it, you're not worthy of me. When you drink that thing again, when you smoke that thing again, when you think that thought again, when you masturbate again, when you fornicate again, when you lie again, when you steal again, and the Holy Ghost convicts you of your sin, you say, God, oh, I'm so messed up. The Lord says, I'm not going anywhere. I won't depart from you. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you, even though you forsook me. To forsake means to turn your back on. You turned your back on me in willful disobedience because like a sheep, you're going astray. But I will never turn my back on you, no matter how many times you turn your back on me. And it was sealed on Calvary when Jesus was dying for our sins. And he's agonizing and he begins to pray, my God, my Father, why have you turned your back? Why have you forsaken me? Because Christ not only became a sin substitute, he became cursed on the tree. Cursed is anyone who hangs on the tree. And the Father turned his back momentarily on his son because his son was bearing our sin. And Jesus felt it in that moment. And he endured all of that being forsaken by his father momentarily while bearing our sin. He went through that so you and I will never, ever, 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 ever have to know what that feels like. Because God will never turn his back on his children, no matter what we've done, because we have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Oops, I did it again. That Britney Spears was right about that. Jesus stayed in that boat with him, didn't go anywhere. That's our Savior. So I want to say to anyone who thinks you've messed up, now you got to earn your way back to God. You don't earn your way back to God, just turn back to God. And you let that boat, that car, that bedroom become your altar where you meet the Lord. You get on your knee, Lord, I'm so sorry, have mercy on me. And the Lord's grace shows up in a superabounding way when he says to Peter in verse 10, don't be afraid. Sin makes us afraid. Disobedience makes us afraid. But we've received the spirit of sonship whereby we don't have to fear 
God is our father. He spanks, but he'll never disinherit. He spanks, but he'll never disown. He loves us. That's why he spanks. And he wants us to learn from the mistakes that we've made. And here's how I know Peter learned. Oh, listen to this strong power. Earlier, he called him master. Generic term that just means, you know, rabbi. But when he sinned, he called him Lord. Curios in the Greek, which means one who has authority, one who has power. So he sees Jesus differently after he has failed the Lord. See, this is why God redeems everything. No, nothing is wasted with God if we're teachable. Some of us grew up eating chicken. We eat all the parts of the chicken, gristle, everything. Everything's redeemable. With God, he don't throw nothing away. He uses everything, even your failures. For a just man will fall seven times and rise back up again. The key is, are you learning something when you fall? He learned in the hull of that boat that this man is the Lord before he was just master. So when you sin, when you fall short, when you're in the gutter again, if you're not learning more about who God is, you may have to ask yourself, do you even know him? Because here it is. He'll be so good to you when you've been so bad to him that you want to do right for him. Because he could have exposed you. He, he could have killed you. He, but he blessed you anyhow. There's not a God like you. Who is like the Lord? Well, Peter was told by the Lord, don't be afraid. But y'all... He not only says that in verse 10, he tells them, from now on, you're going to catch men. C can I have five more minutes before I let you go? Give me five minutes. Jesus said, don't be afraid. I ain't going nowhere. I'm not going to depart. I'm not going to answer that prayer. Lord, just kill me. Aren't you glad God didn't answer that prayer when you prayed that mess? Grace. But then the Lord says, from now on, bro. You're going to catch men. So after you've just disobeyed and had doubt, I'm going to call you to something else. I'm going to call you to something higher. I'm going to call you to something better. I'm going to call you to something eternal. You think these fish are something. You're going to catch men. Because three years later, I, I don't think you're hearing me right now. I, I said about three years later, this same bumbling, stumbling, maverick, of an apostle is going to stand up on the day of Pentecost and start preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And 3,000 people are going to be added to their number of 120 in one day. You thought your nets was breaking with fish. The church's net is breaking with converted souls. 3,000 from one day of preaching. This foreshadowed Pentecost. Only God can redeem your mess and turn it into a message. And when you're working with a God who's that good to you, again, I want to do the right thing by him and for him. Strong Tower Peter doubted, but grace superabounded. He made mistakes, but the Lord stayed true to him. Anyhow, 
But here's the response. I got to leave you with this. Verse 11. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. This was their best fishing day. Because each one of those fish in both of those boats was money. Well, back in the day, what my father used to call it, ducats. My dad, when he would count dollars, he'd be like, man, I got about 100 ducats. So those fish represented money. But when God gets a hold of you, there are some things more important than money. Because although they caught the fish with the Lord's help, the Lord caught them that day. And when he caught them, they're willing to leave the catch. And they forsook everything, left it on the beach. Somebody got blessed that day. A bunch of folk were like, oh, y'all going with him? Can we have this? <laughs> and they accepted their call into full-time ministry. And they didn't look back to fishing until later in a moment of discouragement. As I close today, I'm, I want to pray for people who may, number one, feel the need to just follow Jesus. You, you need to follow him. You've never made a conscious decision to follow him. Today, make that choice. If you hear the voice of the Lord, don't harden your heart. If he's saying, follow me, follow him, I'm going to give you a chance to do that today. But there may be someone here also saying, Pastor, I need a miracle. I need the Lord to come through for me in a big way. I need him to do something supernatural in my life. We're going to pray for you. There may be someone here saying, you know what? I think this is the church I need to be a part of. Y'all got that class Saturday? Man, I, I, I want to make it official. I'm, I'm tired of just sitting around and not being committed. I'm going to come today and say this is my church. I, I want to be a part of this church. But finally, there may be someone here who says, I think God's calling me out of the business world into the world of ministry. I don't know exactly what that means, but I'm willing to follow Jesus. And some of us, when we go into ministry, we keep our job and we're bivocational. Some of us go full time. We go to the mission field. We go back to school. We start applying for jobs in the church, but it all starts with a calling. And if you sense this calling, I want to pray for you. Do me a favor and stand to your feet right now. I'm going to ask my elders and their wives to come. I just want you guys to stand across the front of the sanctuary. Kevin is still here. I want Kevin to come back and play lightly. Elders, wives, okay? And what we're going to do is, there's some of you who need to go. I understand that. It's 1210. When I close in prayer, if you need to go, go. But go lightly, quietly. There may be some people here who need to do business, who need to follow Jesus. If you need to become a Christian, God's calling you today. I want you to come and pray with one of these folks, Okay? If you want to say, you know what, I, I'm ready to become an official member of the church, come talk to one of them, okay? 
let them pray with you. If you say, man, I need a miracle, I need, Lord, have one of them pray with you. And if you're here and you're saying, I think God's calling me into ministry. Come. He's calling you to launch out. Because you've been safe where you've been. He's saying launch. Again, the miracles happen in the deep. Get away from the shore. We're safe. Launch. We're not being irresponsible, but we're being full of faith. Launch. And trust that he has a catch for you. Let's pray, Father God, in the name of Jesus, here we are. Thank you for how practical and real your word is. Holy Spirit, have your way. Thank you for this great time we've had today in your presence. I thank you, Lord, that we can get lost in worship and just enjoying you. But then, Lord, we have to come back down to earth because there's work to do. There are lights that need to be shined out there. There's salt that needs to be sprinkled. There are places we need to inhabit and represent you as ambassadors. There's work to do in the church. There's work to do as individual believers. There's work to do. Holy Spirit, speak to your people. Matter of fact, I know you've spoken. Let us have the faith, the courage to obey. And as we pray, we pray that you would do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. Because it's according to the power that's working within us. To you be glory, majesty, dominion in the church both now and forevermore, and all of God's people said, amen. So reverently, quietly, if you need to leave, leave. If you need to come and have one or two of these folks pray with you, please do that at this time. God bless, amen.